Hey there, perfect peeps. Unfortunately, in this recording with Kobe and Brittany, my microphone was on the wrong input, so it's pretty rough. I do apologize. I tried to clean it up a little bit, um, but you'll probably have to bear with it. I, I hope it doesn't hurt your ears too bad. Um, it was great. Great talk. And so I hope you enjoy it still. Just try to ignore my bad mic. Thanks again for watching. Today, we have Colby Fayok with us. Hey, Colby. Hey, how's it going? In the studio, as always, with me, Brittany Postma. Hi. We're going to work on that intro. We keep we keep forgetting to. <laughs> cool. So I, I think um, it was great. <laughs> awesome. Short and Perfect. sweet. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a little bit about Colby and his background. Colby helps others learn by doing through articles, videos, and courses about JavaScript, React, and the static web. He's a lead UX and front-end engineer, passionate about tackling challenges that can help save people's lives and make the world a better place. I love that last part. That's thank important. you, thank you. Especially <laughs> after uh, after 2020. We need yeah, that. Absolutely. So I, I feel like some people might know you a little bit better by uh, this. So I just want to bring that up. I, I feel like that's starting to get a lot of uh, attention and people remember this. You want to talk to me about this octopus-looking guy? Yeah, sure. So uh, it's not a crazy complicated story. Um, I've just, I've always loved space. And I always thought jellyfish looked cool. Like, I'm imagining, you know, some of the cool jellyfish tanks that have, like, the cool lighting. And they're just so peaceful and zen. So I'm like, you know what? What if I had a a jellyfish that was in space, like an astronaut? And I, I took that idea and gave it to my friend and commissioned him. And he came up with that. and I was quite happy with what his uh what he created with it so i love my cosmo and i think he's great the holographic sticker is the best it's so cute thank you <laughs> i usually uh, i what i try to do is wait until they go on sale and then just stack up so that i can yeah give okay, yeah. <laughs> basically give them away yep exactly are you using uh um mule or not mule sock it's been a long day already. um sticker mule there we go for that for when they go on sale, I use Sticker Mule, yeah. But uh, I've also used Rock and Monkey, which is I think it's Rock and Monkey, and there's also a Sticker App. Um, but yeah, I usually wait for the because the sales are pretty good because it's like fifty stickers for twenty dollars. You know, it's pretty mm-hmm. not too bad, right? So um, I'm taking notes. We always need more stickers. <laughs> Got to get the cat stickers going. Exactly. Yeah, I, I have the AJ shirt on today. <laughs> You can't oh, really see. I forgot you got him. I didn't wear my. I have a space oh. jelly shirt too. Oh, look at that! <laughs> nice. Everybody got their shirts on. I don't have mine Come on. on. Got to keep up. I have a whole drawer full. Of them. I usually put it on. I got so lazy today. Next time, we'll have you back on, Colby. Everybody will wear. That's it. great. Cool. Well, diving into it, the reason we brought Colby on today was to talk about his sweet book uh and and more but um jamstack handbook you want to talk a minute just give a little brief overview of what this is and then we'll dive into kind of the rest of the subjects that you cover within the jamstack handbook yeah for sure so um jamstack handbook as you might imagine talks about the jamstack and what i'm trying to do with it is give a give an unbiased look at what the technology is and kind of where things come from and really help people get up and running um, with practical oh, examples yeah. and walkthroughs, uh, you know, towards the end of it. I think it's my Twitch. Is that my Twitch? <laughs> Twitch doesn't have the... I think it's the Twitch uh, tab in there. <laughs> <laughs> is, this on your side? is that your Kobayashi Maru stream? Yeah, I think it's the uh, the Twitch tab in your browser. Oh, there you go. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> this is coming out of my technical difficulties. Twitch is the latest video. I, I'm not a huge fan that the audio auto auto plays, but you know, it is what it is. I uh. I would normally edit that out, but I like it so much. We're going to keep that. <laughs> Too many Colby's. Colby <laughs> Inception. Yes, Colby Inception. 
there's a little nod to that in the end of our uh, our perfect pick. So anyway, <laughs> keep going. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I um towards the end, you know, I have three uh, practical walkthroughs where I start pretty relatively simple in the Jamstack world, where um, you spin up a new Next.js website and put it up on Vercel. Um, that's kind of, it's kind of like the most basic workflow where you get up and running really quickly, not a lot of uh, complexity to it. But then I kind of step up more after that, where I bring in Gatsby with Graph CMS, where you actually query uh, GraphQL data with that. And then finally, there's an e-commerce example where we use Sipcart in an XJS app. So, uh, you know, really the goal is to give that introduction, again, like an unbiased look at it, and then, you know, learn by doing with some practical examples. I love really the fun. beginning of the book where you explain what the Jamstack is and then the pros and the cons to it. And you give, like you said, just an unbiased look at what's good about it. And there are obviously trade-offs. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and for, and, uh, like like any technology, right? Yeah. yeah. Everything has pros and cons. Yeah. <laughs> for, for those uh, who are new to this, most people that are joining the podcast uh, or, or on the video already know what a Jamstack is, but just kind of to bring that to light, uh, the jam part of the jam stack is JavaScript APIs and mark up, not mark down, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, stack, because us in the dev world, we have to make things stacks. So there's, there's Did you know jam stack, even though it includes JavaScript, does not have to be written in JavaScript. Ooh, tidbit. Yeah. Tell me I more. I think <laughs> things like Go and there's a couple other languages out there that actually technically go into the stack but are not JavaScript. So it doesn't have to be JavaScript, even though it's in the name. I like it. That's really cool. Yeah. I think JavaScript is really just what kind of popularized it because there's so yeah. many tools in the web world around it. But yeah, you know, the basic HTML site that we had in the 90s, you know, that that's a chance. Coming back. Exactly. You know that, that thing we're all supposed to be writing, and then we just went too crazy. Right, right. Yeah. Next, next thing we know, we'll be like writing WASM apps, and it's like maybe we should go back to JavaScript. This is more <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, I guess uh, next question on our list here, Kobe. What makes Jamstack so great? So well, you know, there's I a, a whole book about it. you know so there's a lot of things that make it really compelling all the way from you know a developer uh, perspective or a business owner or the visitor of the website so um, i'll kind of break down those three so from a developer point of view jamstack the tooling around the like architecture and the philosophy is really it's growing and there's so many great things out there that just makes honestly it makes it more fun to develop websites and um it's just it makes it easy uh you know relatively easy and just helps people get started and they really try to focus on making sure that the developers are happy with what they're building um and then from like a a business owner's perspective you get a lot of things like stability where because it's a static site typically on static hosting you don't have to worry as much about things like downtime and you know typically when you're talking about servers if you want to scale that you're going to have to think about things like auto scaling or load balancing which if it's a static site Unless you have to manage that kind of thing with your APIs, again, you don't have to think about those things. And, you know, for some big corporations, it probably doesn't matter as much. But for smaller businesses, it's it's really cheap. So you can get up and started on something like Netlify for actually free. And you can start your business on the web. And, you know, as a small comp- uh, small business or individual, that's really compelling. Um, and then from a visitor por- perspective, you're really getting a better experience because that website's going to be loaded. It's going to be loaded fast because typically those pages are pre-rendered. So you're getting that experience in that first time to paint really quickly, um, which you know overall is going to help you have a better experience on a website. That's what I love about the Jamstack is it gives you the balance, the developer experience and the user experience is better. So it's it's my favorite. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Um, so one one of the common complaints that I always hear on Jamstack, and and maybe one of the challenges that you have to get over, um, people people often have like a WordPress site or just a a click create type of site. Um, Jamstack feels like it's got a lot of parts and pieces to it. Um, there's there's, I guess, different organizations like Stackbit and and others trying to bring that more uniformed, if you will. Can you talk a little bit about like why would it be 
challenging for maybe let's say a WordPress developer to come into a Jamstack world? Yeah, no, I think that's a good question uh, because there are there can be a lot of moving pieces, right? So if I want to spin up an e-commerce app, I'm going to need my payment processor or I'm going to need my, um, you know, some kind of authentication if I'm providing a login for that. And those are all different pieces. Um, so in that perspective, having everything already baked into WordPress, you know, that makes it easier to spin up a entire ecosystem of a project. But the thing that's great about having these different services is one, you have flexibility for, what you want to choose your service to do. So if I want to use Auth0 for the authentication, because they do a pretty good job at that, and I don't have to worry about security, you know, they're going to handle that, and then I can focus on what I want to do. Um, and similar to like the payment processing, instead of me having to design and, and figure out like accessibility and all those things on a checkout experience, I can use Stripe Checkout, um, which will handle all that for me. So being able to have those pieces that I know that those services are going to be doing what they do really well, just makes it easier for me to wrap my head around the special and unique parts of my application. Yeah, that's that's very true. I'm gonna I'm gonna pop up this site for Jamstack really quick. Maybe there we go, and uh, just kind of like look through. I, I think we've touched on a couple of these pieces, but something else that you know past that first initial stage of getting off WordPress, you often hear this part about security. And I always hear, well, static sites are perfectly safe. And it's like, well, they are, but the underlying things beneath them may not be. So you need to be careful. I always like how they call out on here, higher security. So your page <laughs> might be more secure versus like a WordPress page, but you still have to think about like, APIs that maybe you're creating or others are creating that are not perfectly maintained and don't have the security requirements. So it's not necessarily 100% secure. Have you run into any of that as you're kind of carving out um, your, your Jamstack sites as you build them up? So fortunately, you know, fingers crossed, I haven't ran into any issues. Um, but, you know, the work that we've done to try to prevent those things, like we definitely have done a lot of uh, the company that I used to work for, we were building an authentication system into a satellite tasking dashboard. So we needed to make sure that it was completely secure with uh, client-side authentication and, you know, trying to figure out where those pieces lived with a client-side application that was static. You know, um, it, we, what we boiled down to, we ended up using AWS Cognito with an API in front of it, um, but we would store the token and only the uh, like an access token, a short-lived access token um, in the client so that the person could make those authenticated requests. But ultimately, the refresh token would still live in a database that was behind that API. Um, that way, we're not exposing anything that could give long-lived access and we could easily shut that access down. Nice. But those are little, those are little pieces, though, that can easily get obscured that, you know, can completely expose uh, you know, secure things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to throw another image at you because I, I just saw it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't prep you on this one. So okay. <laughs> I don't want to freak you out too much here, but so, so they have kind of on the left here, traditional web where it's client talks to web server, web server to app server, and then database and CMS are underneath. Can you talk a little bit about this right side where it just has client to CDN and microservices and, and how that, Kind of relates for you into this Jamstack world? Yeah. Um, so the funny thing is each of those microservices, you could probably draw a dotted line to, I would imagine, the app server and yeah. then complete the rest of that stack. Um, but, you know, it's for me as a front-end engineer in the Jamstack world, I would be mostly in the client side of this where I would spin up a Next.js app or a Gatsby app, and that would be, um, you know, React-based or your favorite front-end framework. And then I would interface. I'm basically your the application that you're building is the kind of like focal point of the ecosystem, and then that's being used to reach out to these other services to provide the the different features of your application. So whether the microservice is authentication, like we were talking about, or uh, a database that manages your cart for e-commerce, um, things like that. But yeah, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I uh, like I said, I threw you on the spot on that one, so. Um, a kind of uh, interesting question that, that often comes up um, for Jamstack sites, 
right now, I feel like often outside of industry, um, and I, I, I don't have a full in-depth knowledge of your day-to-day industry life, but um, people are writing React more and more and more. But I've often said, you know, React is, is great and it's trending like the next kind of big one, but Angular seems to be more um, the, the front-end pick for people uh, in industry and, and kind of in that corporate life and enterprise level. Um, have you experienced some of that? And what's what's your viewpoints on it? I actually haven't really experienced that before. I honestly haven't used Angular since the original version where I was just kind of playing around with it. Um, so I, ha- I haven't dug too much into it. Um, and I haven't seen, I haven't done any like large corporation kind of work, like enterprise level stuff. Um, like the work we've done you now is enterprise level, but I haven't worked in those kind of situations where I be, might be more exposed to that. Um, so with my applications, typically what we build, we're able to choose the technologies and um, like the teams I was on, we like to use React and we see that most of the time. And do you see from your uh, React experience then, do you see Next.js and Gatsby kind of one-to-one at this point or do you see like Next.js is kind of trending up perhaps? So Next.js is definitely trending. And it's funny, like earlier in the year is kind of when I made this switch from Gatsby to Next.js. And it's, you know, nothing against Gatsby. It's a great tool. But I think pre- before that, you know, Next.js just wasn't at the point where I felt that it was compelling as a developer to use. But now, like all the work they put into it has been amazing. And it just feels so good to develop applications with it. Like it feels natural. Um, so I've been really enjoying it. And it seems like a lot of people agree with that. And that's why it's kind of continuing to grow. And honestly, I I saw the user statistics and I didn't realize how big Next.js actually is. It's, you know, it's um, growing like crazy. Yeah. But I, I don't see that stopping because, um, you know, specifically because the way that they're developing their their API, they seem to be paying a lot of attention to like the developers. Like I see them. Yeah. Uh, talking right in the GitHub, what is it, the discussions feature, and they're talking to real developers about it. So it's it's cool to see. And you have a new Egghead course on that, right? Did you say me? Yeah. Yeah. It's a Next.js e-commerce application. So I walk you through building, uh, spinning up a brand new Next.js app, and we add, uh, we use Stripe Checkout to uh, create the e-commerce part of it. But yeah, we go through like the um, how to create new pages and dynamic pages and things like that. So I, I've been having a lot of fun with Next.js. Yeah, I think Next.js's biggest advantage, I, I think where Gatsby had it in the initial go was kind of the static build outs. Um, and then having the community, I think, was the mm-hmm. biggest thing that Gatsby ever did. I mean, I jumped right in. I'm like, wait, I can get a pair of socks for doing whatever. And <laughs> it's like, yes, please. And, you know, it just... I think it really drew people in and I think the technology part of it, they're they're kind of catching up to still. And I'd love to have somebody on from Gatsby to kind of compare Mm -hmm. and contrast the differences still. I I don't think it's a negative. I think it's an additive. It's not like, are you picking Gatsby or Next.js? It's it's like, yeah, and I need a server side render or whatever. And and I I really hope that, there's something, and you talked about the GitHub discussions. I perfect picked it on our last podcast because I think that Next.js is missing the community portion that Gatsby created. And I hope mm-hmm. they really kind of take that to heart. And that was, I believe, the biggest reason that Gatsby grew so quickly was so much dev adoption. They just love the product. So, yeah, for sure. Um, just kind of comparing those two because I feel like we always have to when we talk Jamstack, yeah. React. You know, um, when when we start to look at the differences on Next.js and Gatsby, they're almost one to one now, except for maybe some regeneration type stuff that Next is doing. Uh, however, I think getting into those paradigms, maybe you can talk about this a little bit. When you go into Gatsby, it's very much you have to know GraphQL and you have mm-hmm. to kind of use that as your provider store. Yeah, that, that data layer is like very specific. And I think Next.js is kind of winning on that with the, the data layer that you can bring yourself. And that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the big difference. Can you talk a little bit how that works for people that, that haven't experienced both sides? Sure. Uh, so 
like I'll start with Next.js. Uh, so the way that you know that they provide the interfaces for you to fetch data, but they don't provide really any kind of data layer. I wish there was a little bit more so that I can do things like hook global data throughout the application easier. But um, with uh, with Gatsby, yeah, that data layer is it could be a little complex because you know from my perspective and working with others, one of the things people stumble upon when they first open up a Gatsby app if it's too overloaded with GraphQL is you know they're trying to learn what React is or you know trying to get into the application and now they see GraphQL and it's just like mind blown, right? Um, so that's, you know, that's a little bit of a bit of a barrier to entry for some people, but it, it definitely is powerful because a lot of the sourcing plugins that they have available, it makes it really easy. And like, obviously their plugin ecosystem has really ballooned and providing a lot of options for people. So, you know, while not everybody wants to rely just solely on plugins. That is a great way for people to spin up applications easily and quickly, right? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of compelling reasons for people to use that if they don't want to spend the time doing that manually in Next.js. I think the interesting thing, people don't know that Next.js actually does have plugins that you can use. Um, I can't remember them. I'd have to bring them up. But Gatsby's plugins are just there's so many community like the next js needs to get that community in to do those things build more we need that image component to do placeholders correctly yeah Yeah. i played around with the plugins with Next.js a little bit and at least from my experience like it it feels less like plugins like gatsby has yeah more of like i think they're more like webpack plugins because you get access to the webpack infrastructure so like part of uh one of the projects i'm working on is a uh, Next.js WordPress starter. And one of the things I'm doing is hooking into the build time and compiling a sitemap for the project. Um, well, like that's that's like the only entry point I had into that system to do that um, for like a global kind of use case. And um, But it's all Webpack based, right? So it's basically I'm hooking into that, which is okay, but you know, it's nothing like a first class plugin kind of ecosystem. Yeah. I think that's, that's going to become very interesting too as as we go more towards the ESM modules and, and stuff like that, where a webpack kind of becomes this thing that we don't use anymore. It, it's going yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, I haven't looked too much into that yet. I've only heard, you know, like people talk about it on this podcast and such, but um, I, you know, it's something I do want to explore, but since, since it's still like not quite there yet, I haven't spent too much time looking at it yet, but it, it seems like it's going to be great once, you know, browsers fully adopt it and such. Yeah, absolutely. Um, go going back oh. to the data layer for a second, the uh, Next.js almost seems like they're taking a Jamstack approach to the data layer where they give you that choice. Like you don't have to be locked into mm. GraphQL at Gatsby. I like that about it. it. Just gives you more choice as a developer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I like that my logic is closer to my pages. Like if I'm building a like a, a blog post page, right? Like I like that I can query that data right next to it. And it just seems mm-hmm. more logical to me for organizing my application. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think one of the hardest things, so I didn't know GraphQL or React when I first wrote my, the first Gatsby site, which I took our coding cat site from Hugo to Gatsby and trying to learn GraphQL, that was what I didn't know. And I, I don't know how to like get this across to people. There's GraphQL for the data piece, but then there's GraphQL as a prop coming in as well. And that that was like, I got through it just because like I followed exactly what was going on, but it took a long time for me to realize like, oh, this isn't actually GraphQL like fetching something later. It's, it's just how it gets passed in. And I think next is maybe a step above in that because when, when, we, when we run like Coding Cab or doing the rewrite now, like, we're using Firebase in the back end with Firestore. It's like, okay, I've got my data. Now I just pass the stuff as a prop and it makes more sense to us. It's not this whole nother GraphQL thing I have to deal with. It's an added yeah. complexity that's almost not really needed in most yeah. cases. I think it I think it helps people that knew GraphQL and React to stay more structured, but it's yeah. very confusing to get started with. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure there's a lot of great reasons on why they're using it from like um, the processing of that data layer and stuff, but I I wonder if there's if there are better ways to expose that to people who might not be as familiar with GraphQL while still maintaining that power on the back end, yeah. the back end of the front end. <laughs> right. 
got to be careful with that one, don't worry. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I kind of want to dive into, we have on the, the list here, kind of e-commerce and Jamstack. Um, what are some of the e-commerce solutions? You mentioned one earlier. I know Next.js has one. What's what's out there? What are you familiar with? Yeah, so I'll first touch on that Next.js one. So the Next.js one is interesting because it's essentially a starter uh you know you know what i mean by the starter where it's a template essentially that you spin up but um they provide an easy way to integrate with i believe it's big commerce right now commerce is out of the box yeah so essentially like you connect those pieces and you have an e-commerce site pretty out of the box um you know which is great from my perspective uh like what my course walks through is using something like uh, stripe checkout where um i create you have the flexibility to create the application however you want. So I even walk you through building using React context to create a cart state, things like that. But then you take that data and you pass it to the Stripe API where they take over, you're basically passing them to the Stripe website and they take over and and handle the the payment processing and the checkout process, which I'm not sure if you've dealt with that kind of stuff before, but uh, it's it's very challenging because you have to consider things like international addresses and like the accessibility of those forms. And they're all really important, critical things that Stripe is doing really well with that solution. So I really like that. Um, then you also have uh, services like Snipcart, which is cool because the way that they handle it is you drop in their script and then you can add some CSS classes uh, to your page with some data attributes and you essentially just have a shopping cart. Um, it's really simple to get up and running. And that's one of the tutorials that I have inside of Jamstack Handbook, uh, just to um, throw that in there. But um, it's it's compelling because whether you're on the Jamstack or whether you have React, Vue, or even just a static HTML page, like you can drop that in really easily. It's an easy um, drop-in shopping, shopping cart, like really yeah. easy. Is and, it? You no. Know, how, how customizable is that? Is it just like you're loading all your different products and things like that um, to it and it creates its own pages so you can like directly link over to that? Or is there so a API? Or? So I don't think it, it doesn't create like any of the pages or something or from that perspective. Um, essentially, you have to have some kind of hosted page. Again, if it's just a static HTML page or something where you have that uh those data attributes on the page that they kind of scrape off the page. And that's how they feed that information into Snipcart. Um, but like, you know, this is really compelling for people who might not be as technically uh, prone to want to spin up an entire new application. Like even if they have a WordPress site, because they know they can do that easily, they can drop in these uh, data attributes and have a store. Right. The shopping cart, is that a modal? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just a modal that pops in onto the page that's already built. And so the only problem for me with Snipcart is that they charge you an extra 3%. So you would get 3% mm -hmm. charge from Snipcart and then Stripe would take 3%. So you would get <laughs> essentially double charged. Well, I but think that's part of like you know, the service they're providing, right? So, yes, exactly. Um, it is a service. So, I mean, it's drop in and it's easy. Yeah. So like as a developer, like I would probably go the Stripe route because I, I would think it's fun to do. But somebody who doesn't want to spend the time doing that, you know, that's that fee is covering the service that they're providing. You know? My perfect pick later will come back to this a little bit. <laughs> but if you want to see what that modal looks like, you can go to spacejelly.dev, which is just oh, a little oh, sticker. Oh, yeah. Sticker shop. Um, totally yeah. Do because those stickers are awesome. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, like if you just if you click add to cart on any of them and then click checkout or even if you just yeah, uh, see, it just pulls up this modal and you instantly have oh. a checkout process to go through. And all I'm doing is putting those data attributes on there. So this is a static page that you have going on here. And then this is also a page that you're hosting. So that's same the page. Yeah. Same. Okay. So that what it does is kind of like what Brittany was saying is that it's a modal that kind of shifts on top. Like it's a div gotcha. that provides that experience. But that's all at that point, that's all snip cart managed. So I don't have to even think about any of that. But you can literally inspect the page, like the add to cart buttons back on the site, and you can see the data attributes as to what exactly you know, is happening. Yeah. That's super cool. I like it. Plus, I'm going to buy Brittany and I some stickers now that we brought that up. <laughs> nice. um, yeah. So 
uh, we talked a little bit about the kind of the e-commerce side on kind of the provided solutions that that are there. Have either of you worked um, like with WooCommerce on WordPress? And can you kind of compare the two since we're, we're trying to compare a lot of, you know, what people would do on a, kind of an older setup, if you will, with WordPress going over to Jamstack and what that looks like? Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't used it before. Um, I know it's big in the Jam or in the WordPress world, but. I imagine, is it similar to like, big commerce and shopify like how they integrate everything and you just have to pay an astronomical fee every month for them to handle it <laughs> yeah it's my impression yeah. it's like shopify is like 50 dollars a month i think at base level which seems expensive for a starter business yeah. it gets a little rough I, I know that for sure um i think the nice part about these Jamstack sites are most of them. And again, that two, 3% gets a little rough, but I think like Stripe, if you can get into that, that's super cheap compared to a lot of the other items that are out here. Oh and yeah. I think like part of that is so like maybe once you get up to like a big business, like maybe you can pay something like Shopify and that might be more reasonable for your business. But if you're just starting off or even just trying to see like if, how people respond to a business, like being able to have that site up for free and pay that transaction fee on the purchase yep. rather than upfront, that justifies being able to be a lot more experimental with the projects that you do. Exactly. Cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, I'm going through our list. I think we have quite a bit of it. Any other topics you guys want to bring up? Brittany looks like she wants do you, to say something. Do you want me to poke the fire a little bit? <laughs> he talked about WordPress earlier. So are we WordPress versus the Jamstack or is it, can we do both? And you already talked a little bit about it, but I mean. Yeah, I, absolutely, I think the entire thing's funny. And I, you know, I, I'm very pro being able to do both. And, you know, I think there's a lot of compelling reasons like why both solutions, like if you put it in a, like their own little boxes, why they're, great solutions um but they're not like they have a lot of crossover they're not the same kind of thing you're not comparing the same type of uh service where like you know wordpress is this all whole bundle thing that you're putting out there it's a platform um, where jamstack is really the architecture that revolves around that so um i don't know it's it's an interesting i don't know why people compare it so much like that one-to-one -one, but um, i think it's because of the mat situation <laughs> the mats <laughs> the mat <laughs> conversation yeah but yeah, with my Next.js WordPress site, like I, I'm showing you there where like they can use be used together because I still think WordPress is a really great, uh, it has a really great editing platform in my per, uh, from my perspective. And there's a lot of people who are already familiar with WordPress. You know, think about the millions of people who are already using it. Being That's able to true. take WordPress and turn it into a headless solution where the developer can still do what they want with it from a front end perspective. Like there's a lot of power behind that. So if you use it as a headless solution and you take out those plug-in ecosystem, does it make it faster? Absolutely. So okay. let's, let's, let's uh, so when you're doing it headless and as long as you're doing it at compile time, which is what I'm doing with my starter where it's, you dump it out static that happens at build time. So the, the person who's visiting the site isn't making those requests to WordPress. Now, if you do it, so if you do it with server-side rendering though, you still might be making those requests to WordPress. That said, there's a lot of those plugins that add the bloat to the request. So you still might be adding to that API request time, but you know it depends on where that lives within the, um, the life cycle of your project. Okay. With static, it wouldn't matter. Yeah, gotcha. So we do have a live or somewhat live question that came in, and it's, it's very related to this. So I'm going to throw it up here. Uh, why why companies avoid uh, using SPA frameworks like React, Vue for e-commerce websites, and they prefer to use server-side technologies like PHP, Rails, etc. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's a great question. I think we've kind of hinted around it, but why do like larger companies that can afford the dev talent? Why do they still write it all um, on that side of it? So I can't speak to like everything, but I know like one example is. Jamstack doesn't always scale super gracefully. And I know that that's something. Uh, so let me clarify that the, the pages and building the pages of the site, that part doesn't scale gracefully. And I know they're working on 
um, ways to alleviate that with things like uh, with Next.js, they had the static, uh, what is it, the incremental uh, regeneration? Yeah. Um, which, you know, that that's fuzzy with blurring the lines of Jamstack itself. But uh, where something like a serviceable solution, you can always reach that uh, the product ID for those deep routes and access whatever is live from the database where each of those pages aren't getting built out in real time. Now you can do that with Next.js with server-side rendering if you're doing a pure app anyways. So it's, you know, at that point, you're kind of getting the same thing between Node and PHP or Rails. But um, also something like Rails, you get a lot of the project out of the box with that. So I know Rails specifically, like authentication, for instance, um, mm -hmm. I think it's called Active Record, where that, com I'm not sure if it's baked in or like easily baked in with a gem, um, but there's just so much you get because your project, more often than not, aren't unique, right? And that's kind of the philosophy with Rails is where you're building this project and they're taking kind of the pieces that aren't unique and they're doing it really well. Um, so I, I feel like there's a lot of answers. To <laughs> I think they say that every site's like a, a CMS or e-commerce and that's all there is on the web. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll I mean, you could, you know, the you can fit that puzzle piece however you want within it. Just wedge yeah. it in a little hard. The, the nice part, I and you know, this is purely my opinion, but Brittany and I talk about this often, is that like we're we're kind of headed towards like a static first world. It it feels like so on Next.js when we start to get those pages out, if we just like for our site, we we keep talking about like the top one hundred or whatever uh, pages. We just build those statically, but then from there on out, regeneration can take care of the rest. And that's that's again, it's it's playing both sides of of that world a little bit. So the, the nice part about Next is you can put so much of that logic in that same page that you normally would a static page. You really don't have to put a whole lot of thought around it. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that philosophy of the static first. And I feel like that's kind of the approach I take. Now, I haven't been doing any crazy projects that require server-side rendering. Because um, like even the e-commerce things that I've been doing might have, you know, even if it's under 10, 10 products, like you're still not at that point where you're going to hit those scalability issues and the time that it takes to compile your site every time you make a change, like you're still going to get the benefits of having a static site rather than worrying about that server side rendering. Um, so I still, you know, anytime I'm trying to do something, I usually go static first unless there's a compelling reason not to. Yeah, my big frustration or biggest frustration with, with Gatsby, the way it was, and things have changed for sure, was I'd make a spelling mistake on a blog page and after rebuild the entire site, it's like, come on, like 30 minutes later to fix that? Not well, they cool. have incremental builds now, but you have to pay for it. Oh, you do yeah. have to? I, yeah, you have to pay. I think Gatsby Cloud is what it's under. Wow. Do you get that out of the box with uh, Next.js? Because I feel like my, my Next.js, when I update from a CMS, it's so snappy. I, I'm not sure if it does, but when Guillermo was on, he said they're working on something about artifacting, and that's what I was going to say a minute ago. So they are going to take artifacts and be able to diff it and see what the difference is, and then just build the pages that are different. Yeah, and actually, doing you can do it now because, um, like for our site, we have our blog pages do static regeneration, and they check. We had it at one second. I bumped it up to sixty seconds. So, like, if we have that um, incorrect thing. Uh, spelling error out on the site. What we do is we update it in the Firebase database and up republish it, so it, it's a new version of it. But then the the first time someone hits it, they'll still get the spelling error. Sixty seconds later, they're getting the update. No rebuild necessary. And that's, oh, that's a nice. Game. Yeah. So that's that's kind of some of the tricky parts because um, you know even talking with with. Chris on MDX and stuff like that. If you're using static files, you still are kind of in that same boat without an API. And that's that's why we ultimately ended up backing ours with a API type of solution like Firebase or you know Sanity IO is fantastic. We used to use that in the past. Um, Contentful, you name them, like they're out there and they're ready for you. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the way we're headed, static first, and what. I can't remember what Guillermo said. It wasn't static first. It was browser first or like he was talking whether it's a mobile phone or it's a web page or it's that device first. Type of thing. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, okay. Well, I think now that she has poked the bear <laughs> or the jellyfish, is, is that what I should say now? Oh, I, I don't know. Here we go. <laughs> 
we've gone down that road. Your your perfect pick, I think, kind of uh, lines up with it. You want to go first, Colby? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the first thing I was just going to talk about was that headless WordPress starter. Uh, and, you know, the reason I think it's interesting is because I'm trying to take that world of WordPress that's typically so dynamic, and just mostly because it's, you know, built off of a serverable solution. But I'm trying to take that and turn it into a static website, which it as is, it already works that way. But I'd like to keep building in those dynamic features that you would typically have on a serverable solution. So one example of that is search. The way that I handle search is going back to that Webpack uh, build time thing is I'll take the routes that were built out and I'll add those to an index uh, based off of the pages. I believe it's based off of the pages that are in that application, blog post. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to remember back. And uh, I just do client-side search on that JSON index right in the browser, and I can provide that search capability. Um, so, you know, all those different features that you would typically expect from WordPress, I'd like to try and build out static. It's it's challenging, but it's fun, and I think, you know, there's a lot of good stuff there. Yeah, that's really really cool. Do you have to know or write PHP to do that? <laughs> <laughs> uh to to spin up a new site or to work to on like starter use your or? starter like would it no none oh none. i could i could handle that <laughs> yeah. so it uses the uh it uses the wp graphql plugin for wordpress oh, um, okay even if we were using the rest api before it's purely javascripts uh we're making those requests out to the to a headless wordpress instance um so honestly like for the demo site like if you go to the demo site that's using in basically a default uh aws light sale wordpress instance uh, it should be at the top right if you wanted to the very top right uh, yeah like what i did is i spun up a new instance on uh, aws light sale and i um you know i filled it out with some faker content i think it was faker there's a plugin that provides the baked in content but uh and that's really you know what you get like if you go up to the search on the top right you can even start typing some uh, what is it lorem ipsum um, and you can start seeing the search queries and that's, pages that's the work. Best and all that WordPress search I've ever seen. <laughs> right. Is that well, WordPress it's, search? It's, <laughs> well, no, it's because it's the uh, it's the um, it's the index. It's that JSON index of the different pages. And like my goal is that there will be no requests that hit that WordPress server. That way, I can stick to that three dollars and fifty cents per month minimum on my WordPress server on AWS, and just have the static <laughs> site in front of it, right? <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Because then you still have the API piece. How about? I, I believe that API compiles live. How often do you have to rebuild to get your static site? So I I don't have any kind of rebuild mechanism in it right now, um, just okay. because it's still kind of work in progress. But my plan okay. is to do a build hook so that anytime something changes in WordPress. Um, it just kicks off a new deployment. Perfect. Um, yeah, because it, again, like the scalability, we're not at a. I'm not at a point where with it where it's so big that that's going to create like a lag or a bottleneck in my process. And plus, it's content that's not really time critical. So because of that, I can wait for that deploy to finish. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Do you want to jump to your next one? Sure. So yeah, I just uh, another GitHub action. So I've been crazy about GitHub Actions lately, just because they're so fun and cool. So um, I'm a different I need help. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, I'd be happy to you know help out. But um, I'm a developer advocate at Apple Tools, which they do visual regression testing. And one thing that I thought would be really interesting is if I could create an action where if you plug it in with literally just that snippet you see in the page and pass in your API key, it's going to scrape your site and it's going to provide that... Uh, the visual regression testing automatically. So it'll capture a snapshot of your page. And then the next time it runs, if it senses a difference in that page, it'll let you know and fail the build. So um, it's just another cool thing that I've been working on. And I haven't actually started talking about it yet besides oh, today, cool. right now. So um, I'm excited to start you know, playing more with that and seeing what's going cool. uh, Just Just for folks that haven't heard uh, GitHub Actions, basically they're processes that run, or you can think of it as a workflow that runs for your CI and CD, uh, sorry, your integration and your deployment uh, on your site. So something like this uh, would come in, we would do a, a get commit to GitHub. This would run and check out the site, probably pre-deploy at, at this venture. I don't know where so this one would fit. 
Yeah, so I would think it would be pre-deploy. Um, yeah. Well, so for this particular instance, the way that I have it at this time, and again, I'm still working on it, but yeah. it has a deployed URL that you would pass in there. So okay. my goal, though, is I want to do something like uh, provide an attribute where you can uh, specify the deploy the static directory. So just as an example with Gatsby, I believe it's, uh, what is it, static or public? Um, mm-hmm. I, it's been so long. Uh, but if you specify that directory, it'll query all the HTML files in there, and it'll essentially spin up a local server and run uh, the Apple Tools eyes visual regression testing on all those pages. So you're basically getting out of the box visual regression testing without having to really do much. Nice. But yeah, GitHub Actions are amazing. I love them. Yeah, and I think one of the most compelling things is being able to use it for tests and stuff. So especially for open source maintainers, that way you can have that process completely automated. And even yep. for like when Dependabot bugs you to update a dependency, you can. It's an easier way to know to make sure that that dependency update is actually working. Yeah, for sure. Our nice. <laughs> dependency bot, so wonderful. Was hoping. <laughs> um. So. I, I think those are all your perfect picks for now. Uh, Brittany, I'm going to have you go next. I am a little worried with your perfect pick because the Kolbyashi Maru site kind of caused some issues. In it. <laughs> I might oh, do it again. Oh, you just have to hit pause on Twitch. Oh, I, I wanted to throw this up here. Uh, so Lumjacker, if you know this person, says you're very popular oh. in the community. That's pretty cool. Thank you. I, I that's nice to hear. <laughs> that's what I thought. That's so cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, nice I'm gonna, to see you from the ZTM community. <laughs> I'm gonna dangerously click the Kobayashi Maru and try to create yeah. it. Yeah, like Colby said, that autoplay feature is kind of nice, kind of painful sometimes. <laughs> I've auto muted it. And the funnier <laughs> yeah. thing with this one is. When I first started recording the stream, I accidentally didn't mute the stream from my audio. So it starts doubling up the audio. Oh, and it, so it was like, like we said, Colbyception, like twice in this episode. Right. Forget Inception. We have Colbyception. Yeah. Um, Twitch usually uh, auto mutes it, though, too, right? So it auto plays, but it auto mutes it. So it must have gotten unmuted somehow. <laughs> Anyway, so my perfect pick is Colby Maru. It is a new show that Colby's doing on his Twitch stream. Hopefully, I'm going to be on there next month doing some Svelte, which yeah. I'm really into. So, yeah, it's really fun. Go check that out. And I'm excited to have you on. Yeah, and my, your next perfect pick? Yeah, my next pick is uh, picking something that goes back to what we were talking about with the e-commerce commerce solution earlier. Um, Snipcart allows you to have that cart just kind of dropped in and it's pretty easy. What um, Nick DeJesus has done has built off of the Stripe API an integrated shopping cart. So you can use Nick's used shopping cart in front of Stripe. And so you place it into a React app. They have a working Gatsby example right now and then they're working on a next example. And you can drop that in, and that will be your shopping cart, and you would avoid that extra 3% fee that Snipcart does. Wow. So this is completely open source, and um, they just got their first site at, uh, live. So so we're going to have to sell some AJ stickers on the site with this then, right? Yes. Awesome. I actually have a Gatsby site up and running with it, too. Uh, it's not live, though. So That's sweet. That's pretty awesome. Because uh, it, it uses the context API, so it makes that uh, that cart state global, which is really powerful when you're trying to do the site. Yeah, so you can keep it like in a nav bar or something, and you don't have to worry about what page you're on. And it's really That's nice. Really cool. I love it. Awesome pick. Okay, any other ones before I? Start? No, that was it oh, for okay. me. Okay. Um, so I did kind of more of a, a little personal pick here. Mm. I started watching Wandavision. And holy smokes, I was like, ah, this is going to get a little boring, it's black and white. And then towards the second, the end of the second episode, I was like, I'm in. And the new trailer that's out, I'm very in. So if you haven't checked it out, if you're a Marvel fan, it's very, very cool. And I think it's got a little 
mind warpy twist going on in it. Interesting. It's very fun. Have you ever seen I, Legion? What's that? Have you ever seen Legion? It was on FX. Uh, yes, that was awesome. That was, uh, oh, what's her name? Uh, from Parks and Rec. Yeah, uh, I forget her name, but April on oh. Parks and Rec. Yes, exactly. Um, she it reminded me of like the, the like mind warpiness of like being in a different like I don't know. Yeah, totally. Except that it has like a a darker edge to it. I would say <laughs> a darker edge. Um, my next pick, which I think I might have perfect picked before, one of these days I'll set up like all of the picks and, and get them out on the site. But uh, Fauna database. So this is very similar to like. Firebase or AppSync on uh, Amplify, where you're getting that real-time feedback, but it's GraphQL. So um, it's got an amazing, amazing interface. The API is fantastic. If you haven't checked it out, I would recommend it. Um, if you're if you're looking for a, a GraphQL solution that's real-time, it, it's just incredible. You can just kind of focus in on on your development and stop worrying about the backend. So. I'm hoping that Firebase buys Fauna or Google buys Fauna one of those. But I, I think I think if I remember correctly, the one of the co-creators of Firebase actually started this. So well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on, Kobe. I really appreciate yeah, it. And fantastic stuff, especially in the Jamstack space. Keep it up. Uh, we want to have you on again for sure. Yeah, it's so great. great to talk thanks to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Thank thanks. You. Thanks so much. Have a great day. See ya.